Hello, here on episode one, I'm finding out how one small bakery is having an impact globally. I started the bakery because I became aware that there was a big problem in our food system, that it wasn't serving people, it was damaging the environment, and it was leading to quite a lot of social injustice around the world. We could talk about that for hours, but let's just say that's the starting point. The starting point for the story is rooted here. It's an old Victorian primary school kitchen on the outskirts of Nottingham. It was a vocation that I I wanted ultimately to pursue. But being aware of the politics and having read widely around that, it's not stuff that you can unknow once you know. And so I wanted to start a food producing business that didn't in any way contribute to those problems that basically did things differently and sat outside of the status quo. So can a single producer persuade others to change their methods, their thinking, their shopping habits? This is Sharing Food Stories at Small Food Bakery. Everyone's working on their own production and there's quite a lot of different things going on. So David is in charge of long shelf life products like biscuits, granola, crisp breads, all of the preserving like marmalade and jams. At the moment he's making, he's baking his biscuits. You can see the baked ones on the trolley and he's putting multiple trays through the oven. The bakery is closed right now. It only opens on Thursday, Friday and Saturday and Kimberly Bell is showing me round. He's also got marmalade on the go. You can see the different pans with the strainers and he's got kind of the oranges sat at the different stages. So he's sort of multitasking, trying to do both things at once. The products look good, they taste amazing, and the customers love them. Sarah's preparing all of our vinoiserie for the week, so that's uh, croissants, paste, uh, Danish pastries, pan au chocolat. So they all get made on a day when we're closed and they get refrigerated and brought out daily. It's quite an involved um, process, so we, we just only have the space today before we open. So how has this bakery been built and how come it's so successful? And then Laura is our baker for today. She's mixing all of the different sourdoughs. I think she's probably got about six different doughs on the go, so she's working to quite a complex schedule. And at the moment, she's um, weighing and shaping our seeded sourdough, putting it in baskets that will be refrigerated overnight and baked first thing in the morning, ready for when we open. And then there's lots of scurrying, clattering, crashing, washing up. Um, Often people say, oh, you know, you're only open three days a week. What do, do you all have different jobs the rest of the time? And I just sometimes wish we could put a little webcam on this action and show what's involved when you're that making would be things. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. If you're making things by from you know, from scratch by hand, there's a lot of work that goes into the preparation of it that d- doesn't necessarily get seen. Um, it takes a long time when you're just bringing raw ingredients from a farm to get that to translate to a finished product on a bakery counter. Can we just wind back a little bit then? What were you doing before? Was this, was this always a dream to, to have a food business? Yeah, I've worked in, in catering and hospitality before and dabbled in all sorts of different food things. And they've always been considered the thing I did for fun or for a bit of pocket money when I was a student. Um, and later in life, I, I carried on being interested. But I always had this kind of standard view which I think is shared by many that I needed a proper job I should also pursue a career that was going to give me a stable income and you know good prospects for the future and I think it's probably fair to say that working in food is not 
the most lucrative career that you could choose. Um, so I, I actually used to run a construction company as my day job, and then I would just dabble in food-related things for fun um, at the weekends. And I guess it, it was um, it wasn't unrelated. My time was spent managing teams of people, complex systems, delivering things to deadlines, essentially project management. And then and also dealing with all sorts of variety of materials coming in to a system, which is very similar to a bakery. Hi, I'm David. Uh, I've been at Small Food uh, for a little over a year now. Um, I am, today I'm making some, a couple of different types of biscuits, so uh, coffee and walnuts. Walnuts soaked in cognac on the top, and then we've got some almond uh, and rose water with some sesame. Well, I spent... 15 years working in offices before I worked here. You, you definitely notice you, that you get a hell of a lot more job satisfaction. I just wasn't expecting this sort of, um, well, to be part of a food sort of revolution. Um, I just, that was completely unexpected and has been sort of eye-opening and, and, and marvellous. The main benefit to the customers is that we've got a very short supply chain and an open plan kitchen. And I think one of the things they enjoy is a sense of authenticity or transparency about what we're trying to do. They, we have a lot of regular customers and we get to know them a little bit. We get to know their families and they get to know us. And I think there's a trust there that goes much further than just trusting the person that's making your food, but actually can be an enjoyable interaction and makes knowing our customers enhances our work no end. Hello, my name's Sarah. I'm preparing the uh, dough for all the pastries at the moment. So I'm uh, preparing the butter to go inside the dough and it will get layered up. I'm just about to put it through this machine here. So this um, is called uh, elasticizing the butter. So you're rolling it very thin and then folding it over on itself and then rolling it again and then folding it over on itself. And it's to get it to, to be nice and flexible so that it becomes almost the same texture or as near to the same texture as the pastry as possible so that they kind of sit together and can fold together nicely while you're working. It's a multifaceted, rewarding job really because you not only get to be creative with your hands and make things, but you also get to see people reacting to it, enjoying it and yeah, it's, uh, it's really nice to be able to, to see the people that you're actually selling to. It's, uh, it's very rewarding. We've kind of come so far from the original intention of a supermarket being a place where goods are exchanged and we should be able to enjoy like gaining good food from that system. We've forgotten where we came from and it's become so far removed from what we wanted it to do, which was to nourish us and provide us with our meals um, there's something really fake about it and I think in the environment I find the environment weird I find the lights weird I find all the beeps weird I find the interaction with the people who work in the store very strange and I never really feel that comfortable in my relationship with them particularly the self-serve tills where there's somebody just standing watching to see if you're going to steal anything or to correct any technical problems there's literally no connection between you and the food there's plastic around everything Everything rustles, it's noisy, um, it's ugly. Um, I, yeah, all those sorts of things are the things I think about. Um, and I just wonder, like, where did we go wrong? Like, what, where did, how did we get to the point where 
we're importing bananas that are devastating um, agricultural communities halfway around the world um, and impoverishing communities that we don't see. Not only are we importing those and selling them really cheaply, we're then wrapping them in styrofoam and plastic and then generating all this waste here, which is then getting shipped somewhere else in the world to be dealt with. For me, it's just all the values are wrong. They're all sitting in the wrong place. And we it's not any one person's fault. It's a system that's kind of evolved really slowly. And I just think it's time now that we stop, take stock and look back and think, how did we get here? And actually, where would we rather be instead? And that's what I did personally with small food. I just wanted to explore what it would be like to start a little business but to do things in the way that totally fitted with my own beliefs and value systems and that made me happy and hopefully made other people happy too. Taking the dough out of the bucket. Hi, I'm Laura. Today I am running the bread production. I'm making about five different doughs today. You have to have a lot of patience and you have to concentrate and it's all about timing and paying attention to all of the details through the stages of making the bread. So we're really monitoring temperatures, we're monitoring um, the temperatures of the proof room that we use, the flour that we use, the water that we include. I'll be looking at how everything's gone today and making changes for next week based on what I think was really good about the bread or what I you know what I found really difficult or if there are any problems with the dough so we're always analyzing we're always kind of trying to do better and I think that has allowed us to develop better and better bread. It can be really hard doing a bread production shift but when it's really hard and when things are going a bit wrong if you know who you're making the stuff for and, you, and they're important to you and you respect them and admire them. It somehow gets you through the day. I think one of the most obvious things when you walk in is the fact that it's an open kitchen. So there's a transparency there. We're not trying to hide anything. You can see all of our ingredients. And everything we make is handmade from scratch. Um, and you can see that actually happening. And it's made by a person who really cares and wants to do a good job for you. Um, so there's a sort of value there, I think. That's one of the most fundamental things, but what you perhaps don't see is that all of our ingredients are sourced wherever possible direct from farmers. Um, and that's not always practically possible, but where we have to buy through a processor, such as a windmill, we always make sure we still know the farmer so that there's a real relationship between us and them. I think um, that's it's become evident why that's important to me over time. I always had a sense that that was important just to cut out all the middlemen and get back to the core value and to also make sure that when I was buying something, I was putting the value where it's needed, which is on the farm, instead of paying for lots of distribution and kind of transport. But the thing that's come out of it that I've realised is even more valuable than any of that is that we're creating feedback loops within a localised feed system. So... The farmer's teaching us and we're teaching the farmers and actually we're evolving like an ecosystem into a better ecosystem one where the valley stays you know where the food is grown and I feel like slowly but surely over time we're able to offer our customers better value because of that learning. 
So my name is Anya. I'm working in a baker for over a year now and I'm responsible for mainly cakes. I'm also doing some short crust pastries that we've been working recently quite hard on and that came out with lovely custard tarts that's selling really really well. Customers loved it. We're using very special eggs, biodynamic eggs and the cream directly from a fan farm and that makes it really really special. There are lots of barriers to deciding to shop at Small Food. One of them is the inconvenience of coming to a, a shop that's only open three days a week and is also not on a main sort of shopping strip where there are other food shops. Compare that to the convenience of supermarkets where you can get everything under one roof. Um, but I do think that people, and it's also a little bit more expensive because of the quality ingredients we're using, um, but I think that people value it a little bit they, they think about the money, obviously, but they also value the experience and it becomes part of their weekly routine. Um, and I hope I like to think it enhances their experience of buying their food. Uh, today I'm making gingerbread cake and a carrot cake. So what's very special about it is made from waiku flour, have lovely English walnuts and, and loads of loads of carrots. So it's about 200 carrots in the, in the one tin of cake. And most people say when confronted with the notion of shopping differently for the first time, the most kind of intuitive response people have is, oh, but it's, it's just not convenient. Um, and I think that's a really sad reflection of, of the way we live and our times so that we prioritise convenience over all other pleasures. Um, I, I think obviously price is a, an issue as well. But one thing that we're learning and I think our customers are learning is that there are, there are multiple values at play and the pound sign is not the only way of valuing what we're doing or what the outputs are. Whereas I feel like in the conventional supermarket system, which basically represents 98% of all of our retail, food retail in this country, there isn't much duality of value. You literally are going in and paying the price for the product. And there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of uh, externalised cost when you buy product in a supermarket because the system's become so complex and warped that there's a lot that you're not paying for. But also you're not really gaining that much socially from the experience. I find it quite an odd environment to be in, not that pleasurable. It's fascinating that this business has been so successful. It's won awards and Kimberley really is now part of a global community of experts. The bakery has a close connection with its customers, a close connection with the producers, and it's the farmers who very much shape this business. And as a baker, you know, one of the most fundamental things you need to understand is that if you're going to ask for wheat from a farm, you need to realise that that wheat needs to be grown in a crop rotation. And it only comes around in the same piece of land, possibly every five or seven years. So if you think about what you're asking the farmer for, you're asking them for one seventh of the, of the output of their farm. And if everyone did that, but they didn't ask for any of the other things that they have to grow, then we've got a really kind of warped value system again. So to be able to grow wheat in an organic system, you have to prepare the soil. It has to have nitrogen in it. And so farmers use beans and peas and um, pulses to plant before the wheat to actually prepare the soil for the wheat growing. And the wheat's like the cream of the crop, if you like. 
So as bakers, one of the things we realised is if we were going to use lots of wheat in our system, in our ecosystem in the bakery, it would be honourable to ask the farmer to buy their beans and peas at the same time. Um, and I think it's just ha having that kind of broad view and not, in a way, not being a fussy eater and saying, well, we are open to exploring all of the outputs from your farm as long as you are farming in a way that suits you and that is keeping the asset, the kind of, you know, the, nu the nutrition in your land and, and looking after that land then I think we should be more open-minded to accepting all the different crops that come from that um, instead of saying, well, I love white wheat bread and that's the only thing I want to buy. Maybe we need to diversify our appetites a little bit to be more in line with a more natural system of agriculture. We tend to respond very much uh, to what's coming off the farms and we don't we try not to demand too much. We ask, what can we have, rather than saying, can I, you know, I want this. We'll say, what do you have available? What do you need us to use? So it, it means that we can't fully lock down or systemize everything we do. We have to respond. So we have to be awake. <laughs> we don't just come into work and mechanically work through our production. We have to adapt and change. So, for example... Mateo's in the bakery now preparing for our small food supper, which we serve every Thursday night. And that has been one of the mechanisms by which we decided to become more flexible because uh, bakery can be quite an inflexible production. But by creating these 50 portions of supper and 50 portions of pudding every Thursday night for our regular customers, we're able to use up the other ingredients that the farmers need to use. So we had a local grower bring us in just a huge box of mixed greens the other day. She just said, I need to harvest this. I know it's not my usual delivery day, but would you like it? Um, I said, I always say yes. That's kind of one of my philosophies is I'll never turn away a really healthy, beautiful food crop. I just say yes. It's then our responsibility to use it. So he's figuring out how to turn that into a menu now, which means, you know, He's got to be thinking, he's got to be alert, he's got to use all his skills and all of his experience to figure out how you make, a, you know, beet spinach and some onions and, you know, a tiny amount of lettuce um, fit into a supper somehow. Matteo, who works here, comes from Italy, where you get the sense that the innate passion for food is much more everyday than in this country. That's probably true, yeah. I don't know. I guess it's hard to say, but at least where, where you know where I grew up and the people I grew up with was certainly food was um, a very big piece of um, our lives. Yeah, it seems to me that here that there is a bit of more of um, it is important. It's becoming more and more important as part of a more a dialogue in terms of sustainability and how the world should, in a way, look like. But it's probably a bit more at the back of uh, people's culture. I just wanted to tell you what I've been doing for the last few minutes while you've been wandering around, which I, I just feel quite moved by and think it's quite an important point to make when considering how we might localise our food system. I think one of the things I, I'd like to say is that it's for everyone to take it upon themselves to play a part in that. And I see the journey very much about empowering people to believe that they are the food system and that the decisions and choices they make influence the system we kind of we, we build together. So one of the ways in which we're trying to join up those dots is we ask 
local growers to bring us produce for barter. Rhubarb is the other thing that grows right now, and I put a shout out this morning because when I came into the bakery, Anya said, Kim, if you want me to continue the cafe production this week, we need some fruit to put in it. And I was like, have you used everything in the freezer? She's like, yeah, we've got nothing. We need some rhubarb. So I just quickly put this Instagram post. So I'm just going to show you the picture that I put out this morning. This is a power of social media and community. Just showing some rhubarb, and I've just put more rhubarb requests. If anyone's got any allotment or home rhubarb, please bring it in to us. Ring the bell, we're here all week. And I've already had three people contact me with rhubarb, and I've had so many people share that post amongst their own social media networks, and it's really heartening to see that people value that and they see it as an important contribution and they understand where we're coming from with that kind of what might seem like quite a trivial act but it's about getting everybody involved and I think those growers do enjoy seeing their products come back at them as baked goods or seeing that we've got rhubarb jam on the shelves when they know that they brought their rhubarb in and it's all surplus that they wouldn't probably use yeah I just wanted to talk to make that point about localizing it doesn't need to be some big idea or some crazy big institutional shift it's literally just about person to person and the decisions that you make in the day to day have you persuaded your customers though i can get your relationship with the suppliers and the farmers and you have a philosophy but translating a philosophy to customers coming through the door and enjoying your food and coming back and 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 giving you their money and, and making your business successful how's that worked um we talk about this a lot like how much of our kind of philosophy or politics should we pass over to our customers and I think there's a very fine line for me it's just it's innate in our system and I think people who come in the bakery get something quite emotional when they first come in the door or when they taste something and they might not it's in a way they don't really need to know all that detail they somehow just get it and then if they want to know more we're there and they can talk to us. And I, we try not to be sort of overtly sensational about what we're doing because I think that we also have a duty not to sensationalise what is, in my opinion, normal food. I think we should be sensationalising the craziness that is the other system and making people aware of it. But I really want to normalise what we're doing. I, I don't think it's I don't think we should get overexcited about it. I think inherently what I enjoy is that people just feel calm and they're in the space. They always enjoy what they eat, seemingly. Um, and then sometimes people just come up to us and thank us and say, you know, we really like what you're doing. I think it's unrealistic to expect every single citizen to take the time to go and visit farms and to learn about agriculture. And, you know, we need people who are expert in other things as well. And they, you know, you can't expect a surgeon to be able to also know all this stuff. And so our job, I think, is for them, is to present a situation where they trust us, um, just as we would trust them if we were put into their hands. They need to be able to trust us. And I think there's so many environmental signifiers that make you trust a situation or not. And a lot of them are very subconscious. Um, so we, we, we're very aware of that and we do talk about it all the time. It's a point of fascination for us um, and with some of our customers as well. But we are very small. We only serve maybe 400 families. So it's not that difficult to find our customer base because there are a lot of people out there who are feeling the same as me when I started and who are looking for solutions and they want a deeper connection to their food. There are also people out there who have very tuned palates. 
So they are able to taste the difference in the food um, and they appreciate it just simply on that level, perhaps. Um, there are also people who work in food and um, are really engaged in the politics and immediately recognise what we're doing. It's something that works here, but for just a few hundred customers, I asked Kimberly about her thoughts for expanding this model. I think there is a huge momentum and we and, and the time is now really to to convince people maybe to look up from the norm and think about how things could be different. Um, we've got, you know, health ep- epidemics, problems with mental health everywhere, problems with these kind of um, degenerative diseases are on the rise. And I think people really are starting to wake up and think, hang on a minute, what's going on here? Where did this all go a little bit wrong? So unfortunately, with that being the situation, people are a bit more motivated to to think that we might need to change. So yeah, I do think the time is now. I think it's quite an exciting time. The biggest hurdle that I see, I feel like within our community, which is, you know, maybe a global community of food workers and activists and farmers, and we do we do integrate with other people doing great projects in other cities. But it, I always feel it's such a shame that we're all so far apart because imagine the world we could build together with what we know. Um, and so I'm just really excited about the idea of if we could just galvanise something in one place instead of having all these different kind of projects all over the place that are all doing good work and often don't even communicate with each other. I'd like the bakery to carry on exactly as it is. I think we've got, we're, you know, tweaking a good system, but I'd like peop- I'd like there to be a bit of a throughput of people so we can't really get any bigger. I'd love to see some of my team starting their own businesses and then that in turn creating a little bit of space for a few other people to step through our system. Um, uh, I would also like to just open up this wider conversation around the city where we, we, you know, creating collectives that are all working towards the idea that we can have a hundred small food businesses, not in competition with each other, but working together um, to create more delicious cuisine for the city, really, and to create choice and options for people who live here, um, you know, beyond what we offer. There could be so many different breads, there could be so many different cheeses, there could, everybody could have their the thing that brings them pleasure, whether it be on the weekends or, um, yeah, just I think I want to create a city where I want to live. And right now, I don't know what I would eat if I didn't have the bakery system and the neighbour food system and the connections with the farmers. Um, so I hope that we can create a system where where I'll be very happy to stay living here, basically. Well, thank you to Kimberly Bell and her team at Small Food Bakery for their time. This has been episode one of Sharing Food Stories. You can find us on Instagram if you want to get in touch. And please subscribe and give us a review. Thank you. Until next time.